Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham, a show at the intersection of sports, sports media, Hollywood, and hopefully life itself. I'm the host and executive producer, Ed. In this episode, we huddle with one of the most important people in my life, Keith Gilbertson, or Gilby as I know him. He was a longtime college and NFL coach for whom I had the pleasure of playing at the University of Washington, where we won a national championship together, and during my last and favorite season in the NFL with the Seattle Seahawks. We talk about how he came to the Husky program when times were tough and we desperately needed a change, not just on the field, but off where he importantly helped flip the team's culture from drudgery to joy. One program note, this was recorded earlier in the football season and we referenced the University of Oregon's then head football coach, who has since left for the University of Miami. This is A Welcome Change with Keith Gilbertson. At my first training camp, Gilbs, we did five weeks of two-a-days. Full go. Five weeks with four preseason games. And I was first and second strike because the guy didn't come back that they drafted. So I had first and second string reps basically. And <laughs> I was just my rookie year. And I just remember back how much more fun I had where we would do the work and we'd get it done, but you didn't know, you guys didn't overdo it. We weren't beat down, you know, and, and we just needed someone Gills, We need someone like you to walk in and have fun and push us the right way. You know, you weren't angry. Well, look, you it, were a joy to be around, man. But Ed, it's still a game. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a game. I mean, you can make it whatever you want to make it. You can make it as, you can make it as enjoyable as you want, and you can make it as 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 awful as you want. But it's a game. Yeah. Young people at that age need to enjoy that the entire collegiate experience. They don't have to say, "Hey, I really enjoyed college, except football was awful for me." <laughs> okay, a lot of kids and say I, that, know, man. I'm sure. A lot or of any sport. Do. Insert any sport. The amount okay. of anger with like women's college basketball, some of these coaches that are being investigated for how they're treating their players. Can you imagine that horror? Uh, well, first of all, I wasn't going to treat you guys. <laughs> I wasn't going to be too mean. Look at the size of you cats. <laughs> we were I was still the tallest guy in the room every day. Yeah. Oh, my you know, God. But yeah. it was a wonderful group of guys. And listen, the other thing about that jumped out at me early was, these guys want to be good. They want to get coached. They yeah. want to be successful. You guys were competitive, and you'd all come from great high school careers. You're all highly recruited guys. Wait a second. This group wants to be good. Now, there were some there were some challenging guys in there. You know, like Jeff Palco and I weren't love at first sight. We end up being oh oh. You mean the tech the the technical wizard that is Jeff Palco. Well, no, but he, I mean, he was an offensive line nerd to his core. I questioned early on, hey, do you really want to be good at this? Or, or are you just doing this to do this? Because he had a little bit of standoffishness, you know, and I, and like, I, I think Jeff had been, uh, how can I say this, treated better. He wasn't quite as good a player as I think he thought he was or the previous group thought he was. So when I got him, I said, man, you should be way better than where you should be way farther than along than where you're at. Hmm. So I think there was some tension resistance early. We he bought in. He bought in, man. He bought in because he ended up playing great and and really being a huge contributor to that team in the next year. Yeah. The guy could play and he was so athletic. I said, you know, this guy can play left tackle. He did. So, yeah. 
You know, that's one of the biggest changes in my life is when you, so you get there and we're digging deep for people listening. This is going to be the Husky audience. So this is, we're talking 89, 90, 91 Husky run up to couple, three Rose Bowls in a row, two of which I played in and, and right. uh, Gilby and I, and then you coached the one that we shared the championship uh, with against Michigan uh, with Miami. But uh, when you first got there, um, no one had ever told me how athletic I was. No one had ever said like, Hey, big man, you can move. What, what do you want to, you know, you really got what I was about, which I'm, I'm not the most powerful guy. I'm not the biggest guy, but I can really move. And it was, that was news to me. I was like, Oh wow. Yeah, I guess I can. I do run fast. <laughs> you know, it just hadn't occurred to me. And you were the first coach in talking like, well, what do you, what should you play? What can you play? And Look, I ended up at tackle for a lot of reasons, Gilby, but I was not an offensive tackle at the Division I level or the NFL. I was a center or a guard. Reason being, and you know this, but people listening, you have to be a really big, powerful human being to play offensive tackle. Guys are running from a long way away, and you have to have good feet because they can move, and then they can run you over. (laughs) And it helps to be long. You remember, and I, so I'm tall, but I have short arms. That's the other thing, Gilps. You and I, I think, share the short arm syndrome. So I didn't have the long reach. Do you remember my first start in college? My very well, first mean, start as an offensive I, lineman, you were coaching. You I remember who, probably, where, when? I would have probably said you got to be a center, but the, the pre, you know, we had. Well, we had a need. Yeah, we had Jeff a need. Chandler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't need me inside. You needed me outside. So, so. and you know, I, the guard at the time I thought was, but you know, the one thing you were, you were smart, you were versatile, you could learn. But do you remember so my you first start play playing, spot. playing offensive tackle in college football when I should have been playing no. farther inside? Do you remember who it was and where? No, I don't. I, I don't remember exactly. It, no, it was USC 89 with junior say out lined up outside of me on the open side of the defense. Well, <laughs> I just wanted to see if you could handle it. <laughs> I didn't handle it, Gilms. Do you know? Do you, By the way, no one did. No one did. That 89, Junior Seau, that 89 season, it's one of the greatest seasons in the history. We put on the film and you were, you were in the weekly. It's my first start, Gilms. I'm like, and my mom flew out to LA. We're playing in the Coliseum. Uh, uh, Rodney P was the quarterback. I, I think he was still there. So it was like a big, big no, that deal. Was Marin, uh, Marinovich. Okay, so Rodney P was here before. But it, it was a big deal, USC team. And Gilbs, you rolled me out against Junior Seau. And the way they lined up, and the way, because I was the open side, weak side tackle. So I didn't have a tight end or anything usually. Well, Junior was the open side to that side, outside linebacker. So he's just standing on grass on his two feet, looking like he looks, and he's coming as fast and hard as he can on every play. Gilby, he just owned me. I mean, owned me. There's nothing I could yeah, do. He made a career owning everybody he played against. And do you know who the highlight reel was when he was drafted, number five by the San Diego Chargers? Do you know who he was trucking on those plays that ESPN showed? I don't remember that. Number no. 79, me. I was, I was the highlight package getting run you know, over I remember, by we Junior. Went through, we went through a stretch. You know, we had Texas A&M, Purdue, yep. Arizona, Colorado, USC, Oregon in a row. Yep. You know, 
Now, see, now if you played those games in a row, everybody would go, my God, it's the hardest schedule in America. Yeah. Yeah. We, we just did tough. it. We just, that, that's what you did in those days at Washington. You played those guys. Yeah. I remember, I remember Paul Coa got hurt. Soup got hurt. We, 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 we were down a few guys during those days, but that's when that depth paid off. Guys like yourself could go in and play. Hey, look, we should have won that game. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We were right there. Well, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't, I mean, first of all, Junior Seau made a made a historic career out of being a fabulous Hall of Fame player, and uh, but we're in that game. Uh, you know, I still we still argue about whether we should have gone for two or not. My thing was no tie it. Make it's it's funny how well coaches remember those decisions, like a golfer. Like you remember every stroke, don't you? Well, uh, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot I wish I'd forget. But at the same time, hey, we're, we should have won again. The next year, we played them and absolutely destroyed them. Oh yeah, that was the the all I'm seeing just, is purple game. Yeah, we just took them apart. I mean, yeah, huge yeah. number. But we were how much better were we from that game in the Coliseum to that day? I mean, we were we were a whole different. You know, one group. thing that happened is that you know that group of guys came back offensively and defensively. They changed. Towards the end of the 89 season, the defense changed and went to that eight-man front up, a lot of man coverage, a lot of press coverage, went to a real aggressive style of play, which, you know, fell right in with what we the things we were doing on offense, and then we were we were off and running. You know, it's uh, um, talking about the change of culture and who it helped in our room, uh, you know, Steve Entman gets a lot of credit and should for his career at Washington. Yeah, he was phenomenal. I don't know that we or Randy Hart, who was a defensive line coach, knows how much they had with Steve without Dennis Brown having been there. Because Dennis, before you got there, Gilby, he, you know, he had all the tools, but you know, he Maybe, maybe didn't care. You know, we were all going through that. It was just a tough place to be. But how much did Dennis Brown change? And maybe you didn't even notice it, but we noticed it. How good he well, got. Dennis, uh, was, Dennis was there. Was was a senior the last year, the first year I got back. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, one of the one of the one day we're going one on one offense defense pass rush pass pro, and of course Dean used to drive. Uh, Dennis crazy because yeah. Dean man, if he locked his hands up on you, that was like you were done. You were you were. You well, he was move. one of our wrestlers. Frank Garcia was another. The guys who wrestled yeah, in high was, school, you didn't want him to grab was, you. Yeah, you no, know, he like he's like Bernie had the most powerful hands. And man, when we got when he got locked up on a guy, he was the, well. It just used to drive Dennis Brown crazy. Finally, we're doing one on one, and he and Dean. You are going at it, and I mean, it is battle royal. <laughs> it ends, and of course, Dean, you know how Dean was, feisty he was. He kind of pushes him or shoves him or says something to him, and here, and he turned, Dean turns to walk back, you know, back in online, and here comes Dennis Brown after him, and Dennis Brown goes to punch him, and I kind of grab Dean and turn him, and Dennis Brown hits me right in the shoulder. Full punch, man. I mean, I thought about going down. He almost tore my shoulder off. Oh and then those two, those two got in a fight afterwards. And I was, 
I was just trying to see if my arm would ever work again. <laughs> Next morning after in the staff meeting, Coach James looks at me and goes, how was one-on-one pass rush pass for yesterday? And Randy and I look at each other, and I, I now I realize he didn't see the fight. I said, fine. Uh, he hadn't fun. seen that whole thing from up in the tower? No. Either that, either that or he either saw it, I was just going to see if I was going to cover for you guys. So <laughs> I, said, I mean, you, you never, that guy was so smart. He might've seen the whole thing. He says, I'm going to just want- on and just see if he'll cover for his guys. So he said, how was pass brush pass pro? And I said, fine. And, wow. and we moved on. And, and to give context. Uh, so coach James, Don James Legend, when he left, he was the winningest coach in Pac-10 at the time history. Uh, but one of the things he did famously was once practice was under, we were at, people were doing work, not at the beginning, you know, during warm-ups and stretch. <clears throat> he would go up to a, uh, a box on, I think it was, you know, scaffolding or something where yeah. he would oversee the entire field, which was split one side offense, the other side defense. And as a player, and I heard other coaches about this, he almost always saw everything. We weren't sure how he did it, but if you did something wrong and you turned around, Coach James' eyes were – didn't he have binoculars up there too? I know he had a bullhorn. Yeah, uh, bullhorn. I don't know about the binoculars. He may have, but I don't remember that. But you would mess I, up, you turn I, around. I and spend a lot of time looking at the tower. I <laughs> now there were other guys that spent the whole day oh yeah making sure he wasn't looking at them from the tower well the only time i looked is if we were screwing around or i'd made a mistake to see if he caught it and he always did his eyes were always right there and he always had his notepad out writing down what was going on and uh it 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 changed the dynamic i think quite a bit for some guys uh but to to he had to have seen that fight, Gilbs. There's just no way. I think he was testing. Well, that's what I thought. Yeah. And then, and, but but the way he asked it, well, you know, like I'm, are you going to tell on your guys? Or yeah. Are you going to cover for them? So that's I just amazing. said it was fine, and, and he he was okay. I don't know. It was a, it was a it was a wonderful thing. The guy was a wonderful wonderful leader and man and teacher and you know i'm a, i'm just gonna be honest with you i i wouldn't have had the life i've had if i hadn't had an opportunity if he hadn't helped me get going into business it it, it all started with coach james why what did he do been, different what did he do that pushed you in that direction well one he gave me a chance to be a ga on his staff that that's first he didn't have to he did I mean, I went in, sat down, told him what I wanted to do, who I was, where I was from, and he gave me an opportunity to be a GA. So that's first. And then he helped me get a job, you know, Utah State, and there were other jobs. And then, uh, you know, he reached out to come back in 1989, which opened up another wonderful chapter in my life. Chance to coach you guys, be around those great teams, work with guys like Randy Hart and Gary Pinkle and Jim Lambright, uh, Larry Slade. I mean, just some wonderful people. What was it about his program? I mean, I, I have my experiences, but what were the things that, because you, you, you know, played under your dad in high school, you went to junior college, 
played under somebody there. You went to Hawaii, played under somebody there. You started coaching, you, you know, early on you're with Don as a GA, then you go to Utah state. What did Don do as an organization, as a person? And, you know, how, cause I hear, you know, this system he had, what he did, how he evaluated people. What were the things that stuck with you and, and opened your eyes up? Well, one was hard work. You come early and you stay late to get, to improve, to get better. That there was nothing left to chance. There was the, the attention to detail when I was young and, you know, formative in those ways. I, I was, I was just awestruck with the, the attention to detail about everything, right? About everything. Yeah. And then, and then and just the fundamental approach to play in the game. So it stuck with me, hard work, attention to detail, and sound fundamentals, those things. And we would do things on a daily basis that I don't think other people do in terms of let's evaluate our guys, let's evaluate our program, Everything from academics to recruiting to your meetings in, with your players on a daily basis. Everything, nothing was left to chance. Mm. Nothing was left to chance. I, I, I remember as a graduate assistant, and in those days there was one offensive line coach, and so I was the assistant offensive line coach, and I coached the tackles. But there would be times when during the staff meeting we'd be watching video and then Don would say, Gilby, get up on the board, and I want you mm. to teach, show the staff what you're teaching that guy, whether he wasn't sure what I was teaching or the guy wasn't doing it right or however. But so you had to be on your, you had to be on the mark. You know what I mean? Mm. You never knew when you were going to be the guy to call on, go to the board and teach the staff. A room full of coaches, the Jim Morris, Dick Sesniaks, Ray Doors, Bob Stoll. I mean, great coaches. Yeah, Jim Moore is one of the greatest of all time. He, I mean, all time. of all time. Yeah. Board, yeah. You go to the board and teach these guys, tell these guys, show these guys what you're teaching them, left tackle. So it was a remarkable experience for me as a young coach. And uh, I, I appreciate it so much. Even to this day, it was remarkable. Well, one thing I think that is really relevant to today with, you know, the job market's really weird and hard for a lot of people, both those hiring, both those looking for work. And, you know, I think the facade is down now of whether college athletes are pros or not. I mean, you know, the, the courts are finally saying, yeah, they are. Let's, let's get in line with that. But you mentioned recruiting because that's, I think, crosses over from sports into everyone's world. What were the things that Don would ask of recruits? What were things that you all would do on your due diligence? Because I think if all you do is say that guy can really play and he's a really good athlete, they don't survive with what we did at Washington. They don't thrive with all that was required of us, right? Because no, we had to do no, so much was, more than, than so show hard. up and play well. We had a lot of expectations. So what did you all do to vet players? What, what did you ask? What was the okay, process? Number one, was, number one was was the staff evaluation, height, weight, speed, and then the grading by the staff of whether, where the guy's skill level was or what his talent level was. Two was you had to ask a couple people at the school, like a counselor and a coach, and then maybe an opposing coach had to rate this guy. 
But to me, the whole thing got down to what we used to call the tough questions. The tough questions being, <clears throat> is this guy dying to be a great player? Will he come early and stay late to improve? Does he have, and in those days we used the word headhunter, does he have exceptional, exceptional toughness? Is he a competitor, right? What will be his reaction to a radical change in position? Mm. And can he take harsh, tough, constructive criticism? Can he graduate from this university? Uh, is And then, you know, the, the is he a drug, alcohol guy? Mm. It, there, were, there were like tough questions. The amazing thing to me is, I'm listening to Nick Saban talk one day about his recruiting process. And he says, well, we asked some tough questions yep. and bang, there it was, there was coach James. Yeah. You know, same questions asked the same way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, there's, there's uh, I don't know. I think you got a copy of this, but uh, Mike Gastineau wrote a really nice book, fear no man about our yeah. 91 team. And uh, Nick Saban wrote the forward about his experience with coach James and, and says straight out, you know, what, what I got and have is from coach James from their time at Kent state because Nick played under coach and then coach, you know, you went the same route as, as Nick, he asked him to stick around and be a GA while his wife finished up her degree. And, uh, and I've talked to coach Saban, you know, when I was working at uh, ESPN, I covered them enough and got to know him and he knew my connection to coach James. And I had a really nice relationship with Nick because of that we had a very both you know having played for him and then he coached for him we both and i saw what nick was doing it was right in line with everything we did you know i'm sure yeah I'm sure. yeah sure. you know the other thing this is an interesting thing and you may not have known we did this but when i was with coach james we had thursday checklists thursday before a game and we had friday checklists before a game now my son is an analyst at the university of oregon works for Mario Cristobal, who worked for Coach Saban at Alabama. Mm. So my son, the first year that Mario is the head coach at Oregon, he calls me on a Friday. They're getting ready to play a game, and it's before they go to the hotel. And he says to me, hey, uh, do you know what a Thursday checklist is? <laughs> and so I went right down the Thursday checklist out of memory. And I can still remember it. And he said, and then, do you know what a Friday checklist is? And I said, yeah, this is what you do on Friday. So they were still doing it at Oregon. In, 19, in 2000, I believe, 18, Mario's first year as a head coach, they were still doing Coach James's Thursday checklist and Friday checklist. Yeah. Remarkable stuff. Yep. You know, here, and this will be the last thing I leave it with, because this is how I know you and how I, why we've remained close and friends after all these years, you know, you were talking about the hard coaching and tough coaching. And, you know, that to me, first of all, that's not what you did personally. You didn't, you yelled, you didn't yell at oh, yeah. us. You challenged, you didn't demean us. And I bring that up, Gibbs, because it's really important to have young kids now. And I think all of us are having this conversation of how we talk to each other and what we say, you know, that idea you know, those tough questions, I, and you, you even said it sort of of the time, but I think it's important. And, and I think for me personally, and then this chapter, obviously in, in our shared experiences as Huskies, sort of that 89 to 92, you know, uh, run there that we were all part of, you specifically changed 
on a very important element of the team, the offensive line. None of that happens if we aren't that good up front because our defense can't be as good as they were if we're not out there showing them what's what every now and then. You know, I, I, when I analyzed college football for all those years, the first thing I'd look at is how good is the offensive line? Just if you start there, you're going to know how good their defense is. You're going to know that they can be diverse on offense. You're going to know what they can and can't do on offense. And you came into a group that had been browbeat, Gilbs. The guy before us could do nothing but make us feel like we were idiots and didn't know what we were doing, right? And so I want to say thank you that in, as we all talk about sort of Don James and this tough coach and all that, you guys were not mean to us. Coach James was a good, affable guy. He could be a little demanding and whatever, but he was still ready to have a laugh and hang out, you know? And so as we end, I just want to say thank you. You know, you, you read through those and those, you want to know those, but you didn't coach. You were never mean. You were never, you were, you were tough, but fair and honest. And I'll share my, my favorite story of you and one that I've shared time and again about, you know, I hear these tough coaches and these guys yelling at these people and all this stuff. We lost to UCLA my junior year, 1990. And it was, it's the worst loss I've ever had. I mean, it probably brings up a little bile in your throat right oh, now. Buddy. I mean, oh, yeah, we win two championships in a row if we get our yeah. head out of our rear ends that afternoon. And they played well. It was, a great, it was one of the greatest coaching jobs I've ever seen by UCLA. Um, uh, Terry Donahue and his staff. And I knew Terry uh, quite a bit at CBS and a really good guy and a good coach. But I played just awful in that game. I mean, I played terribly. Just awful. So we're in watching the film of the game the next day on Sunday. <laughs> you killed me. And, and rightfully so. I just didn't play well at all. And you killed me. But again, it wasn't you're an idiot. It wasn't you're horrible. It's like that, you know, what you would always say is that was not, that's not good effort. That's not what we do. Why, why would you go there? You know, it was all, it wasn't personal. It was, this doesn't work. And no one feels worse. My family was there. They'd flown out from Virginia. So we're done with film. I think we go out and get a sweater, whatever, and we go to dinner. And you walk over and say, hey, come sit with us. And you brought me over to sit with the coaches. And we all talked about life in school and what was going on. You didn't bring up the game one time, not once. That's unusual. I should have. <laughs> <laughs> But just, I, I think it's important as we talk about these systems and this rigidity, the humanity that you showed. And Gilbs, I was able to go home and sleep and come back to work and and thrive and still understand I could have played better. I was it was just not my best self that day. But you didn't abuse it. You just made the point, and we moved on, and you made it human. And I appreciate that quite a bit. One thing I think you got to remember, and I, and I had a when I was a player, I had a coach say this. When he said, well, you're probably going to be a coach. He said, so I'm on, his name was Larry Price at the University of Hawaii. Wonderful for me. And he said, I want you to remember this. If you're going to coach. So I want you to always remember what it's like to be a player. And you've had a bad game. Mm. And then as you move up, I want you to always remember what it's like to be a GA. Okay. To be the lowest guy on the, coaching staff totem pole and then I want you to always remember what it's like to be a position coach and then I always want you to remember what it's like 
in all those other positions when you become a coordinator or a head coach. And I never forgot that. Mm. I never forgot that. And the, and one thing Don James said early when I first got around him was we're going to coach guys hard. We're going to be demanding as hell on these guys, but they might have, and I, I guess I can, I don't know if I can say this. They might have a shitty play, but that doesn't make them a shitty guy. Mm. That makes sense. A hundred percent. So you got to remember what it's like to have a bad game or a bad play when you are quote in charge. And when you do coach them or criticize them or whatever, it's, you don't like the play. You still like the guy. Well, that was clear. You nailed that man. You nailed it. Yeah. And I, I always remember and all, and all of your accolades winning that national championship, that, that means nothing compared to what, who you were that way at that time in my life was essential for me. Yeah. When you get together, when we get together and, and I hope we can do this again, when we get together that national championship team or those teams that, that 90 team, that 91 team, nobody's, we're not looking at our rings and watches and our old Rose Bowl sweats. We're talking about the human side, our connections, our bonds, how much we meant to each other, how much you players meant to us coaches, and hopefully we meant a lot to you guys. Those are the things that we discuss and, and enjoy when we get together. It's not the ring. It's not the watch. It's not the national championship trophy. It's the people. It sure is, Gilby. And thanks again for being you, a one-of-a-kind life changer for those of us who had the honor to call you coach. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review. You can follow us on social media, Twitter at Let's Huddle With, Facebook, Let's Huddle With Ed Cunningham, and Instagram, Let's underscore Huddle underscore With underscore Ed. The show's homepage can be found at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and you can scroll through their impressive lineup, then search up Let's Huddle to get to the show's homepage. Reach out, let us know anybody you'd like to hear from, corrections or clarifications, and we'll be happy to follow up. Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham is a production of True Stories Incorporated, and this episode was produced by me and edited by Ryan Lindsay of Fushaw Media. The Believe team on the Let's Huddle beat are producers Alex Tosopoulos, Joe DeLeon, Josh Fisher, audio engineer Carter, marketing directors Connor Haynes and Cam Rogers. Cam also hosts Golf Bets on Us, a podcast on, you guessed it, golf betting. And my first contact with Team Believe, Bron Husenstam, the chief executive. Thanks, everyone. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.